Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, that's where I want to begin. I'm going to chain together several passages right here at the outset. And so you need to have a Bible ready to roll in Matthew chapter 3 as we open up the Word of God. It is great to see everybody this morning, this beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day morning. Glad to be back after a good week with the Pine Grove Church over in Lincoln County. I enjoyed being with those brethren, but there's just no place like being being at home, being right here, getting to be with this group of people, and I'm glad to be home, and I'm glad that you are here this morning as well. Just a quick programming note about this evening. This evening at 6 o'clock, our brother Kane Atkinson will preach his first sermon as part of our summer preacher training that we are doing this summer. And you can read more about that in the bulletin if you have not done so already. But I do want to just add one little extra note. And that is to just emphasize that Cain is here for these next three months to preach the gospel and to learn about doing the work of an evangelist. And I emphasize that so that you understand he is not our little trainee and he most certainly is not our youth pastor. He is here to preach the Word of God, to labor in God's Word. And so I trust and hope that you'll treat Him with the same kind of respect that I know that you treat and treat me and the way you encourage me, you'll encourage Him and uphold His hands in this work uh, just as you would any other man who has chosen to devote their life to this important task in the kingdom. I'm looking forward to this evening and I hope that you are as well. Right now though, it's Matthew chapter 3. I'm reading here in verse 1 and then get ready to roll with these other passages. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, there we're told that in those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Let's add to that what's said in Luke chapter 20. In Luke chapter 20 and in verse 1. In Luke 20 and in verse 1 we're told that one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up to him. Look in Acts chapter 5 now. In Acts chapter 5 and in verse 42, speaking about the apostles, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, we're told that every day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. In Romans now, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, as the apostle Paul talks about himself here, In Romans 1 and in verse 15, Paul says that I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Finally then, in Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10 and verses 14 and 15, this great statement is made in Romans 10 and in verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I hope that you saw the unifying theme in all of those passages. There's an emphasis in all of those verses on preaching. In the Bible, preaching is enormously important. That really cannot be overstated. Preaching is huge in the Bible. It is God's primary means, His primary vehicle for communicating His will to human beings. And in fact, it is also His primary means of calling people to repentance whenever their lives are not in line with His will. 
Preaching matters to God. These five passages and a host of others bear that out, which means that preaching ought to matter to God's people. And so I'll ask, how much do you value preaching? Do you care about preaching the way that God cares about preaching? The answer to that question can perhaps be found in what you say to the preacher as you go out that back door at the end of services. Now, I'm not exactly sure when the tradition of the preacher standing in the foyer, shaking hands with folks and talking with folks after the sermon, I'm really not sure when that particular tradition started. I often wonder, did John the Baptist stand on the banks of the Jordan River and shake people's hands as they came up out of the water? Did Jesus go and stand at the back of the synagogue as folks were filing out and exiting the building? I really am not for sure. There's at least a couple of places where the Apostle Paul, he actually flees town in secret and gets out of Dodge. And so I know that Paul didn't always stay around to shake everybody's hand afterwards. But but we do. We do that tradition here. At the end of pretty much every service, the preacher, and I know that I try to, I go and I'll stand there in the back. And there I will shake your hand and I will then listen to anything that you want to say to me, good or bad, anything that you want to say to me about the sermon that I just preached. Sometimes folks will even get a little bit upset that, man, I didn't get to talk to Josh today or I didn't get to talk to the preacher today and say something to him about the lesson. There was too many other people lined up and crowded around there. It's just customary, I suppose, that you say something to the preacher after the sermon. And I believe that what you say to the preacher, it may very well reveal a lot about your attitude toward preaching. Now, generally speaking, people here at Lakeside are very, very kind to me, probably more so than I even deserve. People say nice things. People are very, very encouraging and very, very warm. But I have noticed that as I go and preach in other places, and even from time to time, it's true even here, Sometimes people say things that cause me to wonder and even fear a little bit that they might not be viewing and thinking about preaching in exactly the right way. I remember when I first started doing some fill-in preaching uh, on kind of a somewhat regular basis, there was this fella at a particular congregation who always just soundly slept while I was up preaching. Every single time. And yet, at the conclusion of every service, he would greet me at the door and he would pump my hand and and pat me on the back and he'd say, wow, that was a great sermon. Great for what? Great for insomnia? I don't know what's going on there. I'm afraid that that fellow's comments really just kind of betrayed a rather shallow view of preaching. And while I do think that all preachers appreciate a a kind word, a, a word of encouragement, or maybe even a word of constructive criticism whenever it's needed, there are some things that you should know that no preacher really ever wants to hear. You want to know what those things are? Well, this morning I want to share with you three things not to say to the preacher. And in exploring these three things... I hope that we will all come to a greater appreciation and a greater understanding of how it is that God wants us to respond to the proclamation of His Word. Are you ready for that? 
The very first thing on that list is probably the most common thing. I hear so many people say this, and that is this one. I liked your sermon. That is one of the most common responses to preaching. Good sermon, preacher. I really liked that. Hey, I really enjoyed that sermon. Sometimes maybe if we have a visitor with us, we'll kind of ask them, Hey, hey, how'd you like things today? How did you like that sermon? From time to time, I'll get, you know, somebody will come to me or they'll send me a note and they'll say, Hey, I had my friend with me today. They were visiting for the first time. They was talking about the service and they said they really liked your sermon. You know, long before the like button appeared on Facebook, I think it showed up at church because people are usually pretty quick to hit that button and give the thumbs up to the sermon. I liked that sermon. Let me tell you the trouble with that. The trouble with that is, is that sermons aren't really meant for liking. In fact, I think I could make a pretty good argument that the very best preachers and the very best sermons weren't even liked at all. Can I show you a couple examples of that? Look in John chapter 6, please. In John chapter 6, after Jesus just got done preaching this remarkable sermon about the bread of life, Notice the reaction. Notice the response he got. In John chapter 6, look at verse 66. After this, after this great sermon, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Wow! Turning away from the preaching of Jesus. And you should know this is not the only time that that kind of thing takes place. Look with me in Acts chapter 7, please. In Acts chapter 7, after Stephen has preached really just one of the most amazing sermons, tying all kinds of Old Testament history and connecting that to the Messiah who is Jesus the Christ. We are told in verse 54, Acts 7 and in verse 54, Now when they, his audience, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Grinded their teeth at him. Drop down in verse 57, it gets worse. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I'll tell you this. People didn't come up to Jesus or to Stephen after a sermon and say, Oh, I like your sermon today, preacher. People didn't go to Peter or to Paul or any other apostle and say, Oh, That series that you're doing on Jesus Christ crucified and the resurrected Lord. Oh, two thumbs up, that double like on that. No, that's not the way that happened. Like was really the furthest thing from many people's minds. Which really just points to this truth. That sermons aren't really meant to be liked. Sermons are to be lived. That's what sermons are for. I want to emphasize that again. Sermons aren't for liking, sermons are for living. It is James that makes that point in James the first chapter. Would you find James chapter 1 please? James talks here about what our reaction ought to be whenever we are listening to the Word of God. In James chapter 1, I'm reading in verse 22. There James says, James 1, 22, but be doers of the Word. And not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, it's not about liking the sermon. In James's vernacular, it's about doing the sermon. Yet whenever we sit back and we like a sermon, it seems that we just, we just kind of forget that. And instead what happens is, is we occupy a space on a pew and we become almost like, you know those two old guys in the, 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 the Muppet show that sit up in the balcony? They're kind of like theater critics. And they're just sitting there and they're saying all kinds of stuff that's going through their mind about how they would rate and review that thing. That's kind of how we become. We become sermon critics. We sit down in the pew and we decide to ourselves whether or not this sermon is enjoyable or whether we like that or not. We kind of almost treat it like we would, you know, like, like a consumer would treat a product. You know, I came to church to get something today. I'm gonna, somebody's gonna give me something. I came to get this sermon that's gonna, you know, pump me up. Or this sermon that's gonna make me feel good. Or this sermon that's gonna stir my emotions. And once I get all of that, I'm now gonna judge all of that. And I'm gonna judge that based on whether or not I enjoyed it. Did I like that? I would submit to you this morning that that is an absolute mistake. We don't judge sermons by personal human standards, whether we found them to be engaging or enjoyable. That's not the standard. The standard is not, did I like it? Here's your standard. Look in Galatians 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul encountered some people who obviously didn't really like his preaching very much. But that didn't stop Paul from preaching, nor did it change his message in any way. Instead, he told the people who would hear his message, Galatians 1 verse 10, he said, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. When it comes to liking sermons, the only concern is whether or not God likes the sermon. That's the emphasis. That is the primary concern. That is my primary concern whenever I stand before this audience on any given Sunday. And I really hope that nobody's going to be offended when I say what I'm about to say, but I'm really not concerned whether you like the sermon or not. That's not the standard. Because if God likes the sermon, then it doesn't matter whether anybody likes the sermon. The standard is to please the Lord. Did it honor Him? Did it bring glory to Him and His name? Did it faithfully present His Word and His mind? My only concern for the hearers is whether or not you will listen and you will then evaluate that lesson by the Scriptures to see if God liked the lesson. And if God did like the lesson then my hope is that you will then take that lesson and put it into your life. That you will then live that out in your day-to-day walk with Jesus Christ. Why? Because you liked it? No. Because God liked it. It was God-approved. The fact of the matter is, many times, the very sermons that we need the most in our lives, let's just be honest, many times, those are the sermons that we're not going to like very much. You understand what I mean by that? Maybe I come to church on a Sunday morning and I think to myself, oh, all is well between me and the Lord. I'm just, man, I'm just doing great as a Christian. Everything's just going good with me and God. Then suddenly the preacher gets up, 
and he opens up God's Word, and the Word of God is brought to bear, and it ends up rebuking me, and it ends up correcting me, and it exposes various shortcomings in my life, and it calls upon me to repent and to make changes. And you know what? I don't like that. I don't think anybody likes that. That's painful. That's hard. Look in Hebrews chapter 4 with me. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God, I want you to notice, the Word of God is not likened unto a pillow. You know about a pillow, don't you? A pillow so soft, and it's cushy, and it's comforting, and it makes us feel good, and we like a good, nice pillow. That's not the metaphor for the Word of God in Hebrews 4. Look in Hebrews 4, look in verse 12. There the writer says that the Word of God is living and active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is like a scalpel. Think about that. I don't know of anybody who rolls out of surgery and says to the surgeon, Oh, I like that. Give me some more of that, please. Nobody says that. But you know what? We have a surgery. We go through all of that. And we realize it was necessary. I needed that. It hurt, but I needed it. And I'm glad that I did it. But it's not necessarily something that I would say I enjoyed. Now let me just give my disclaimer here on this particular point. I understand that when some people come and say, hey, I liked your sermon, that what they mean by that is they mean, I like that you preached from the Bible. I like that you presented God's Word faithfully. I think God liked that sermon and God approved of that sermon. And so I want you to know that I also like that sermon in that same way and I also approve of that. And I understand that. I understand that that may be what some folks mean when they say that. And I appreciate that. But I also understand that that's not what everybody means when they say, I liked your sermon. There's been occasions, I've been other places, someone comes out and they say, I liked your sermon, and what that really meant was, I was entertained by your presentation. That's what they meant by that. And that is the very response that no gospel preacher ever wants to hear. Because sermons aren't meant for liking. Sermons are meant for living. And so stick around after services. Come and shake my hand. Tell me what it is that you thought of the lesson. But please don't tell me in that way that I liked your sermon. Now, coming right behind that at number two would be this second statement that I tend to hear with great regularity. And that is when someone comes up after a sermon and they say, you know, I sure wish so-and-so could have been here to hear that lesson. Now, I want to be careful here, and I don't want to put some kind of a sinister twist on this, because I, I understand what people mean when they say that, and I think it's very good intention. What they're saying is they're saying that, you know what, that sermon, it really seemed to fit particularly well with the life circumstances and the life situation of someone who's not here. For whatever reason, they're not here, and that's unfortunate that they weren't here to hear that and be blessed by that. And so maybe, for example, someone says, man, that was a good sermon on drunkenness. I sure wish Brother DWI had been here to hear that. 
Or you know what? That was a really good lesson on attendance. I wish Sister Miss a lot had been here to hear that sermon. Understand that. Understand that's what people mean when they say that. And you know what? There's part of me that even agrees with that. Would you look in the book of Ezra, please? Look in Ezra 10. I'll show you a really neat passage. In Ezra chapter 10, this is a passage that I tend to think that probably most preachers wouldn't mind if we just went ahead and incorporated this into the New Testament. In Ezra chapter 10, look in verse 7. There is this great assembly that is called because there's going to be some really important preaching that's going to happen on this day. And so an assembly is called. And look at what's said in Ezra 10 and in verse 7. A proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. You better get there for this assembly, verse 8. And if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, his property should be forfeited. And he himself would be banned from the congregation of the exiles. I like that. Come to church or we're going to take your stuff. I like that a lot. And the reason I like that is because I want people to come to church. I do want people to be here. But you should also know that I do not treat this pulpit as a sniper's nest so that I can target a specific person in the congregation and I'm just going to be looking for the right opportunity. Just shoot at them. And I'm just going to plug them really good. In fact, I learned pretty quickly and I learned pretty young that that is highly ineffective. Because either A, folks figure out that you're shooting at them and they'll duck and dodge every way that they can. Or, ducking and dodging way too much there. Or what will happen is, is you plan to just attack this individual on this particular subject and then they don't even show up. They're not even here for the lesson that you planned for them. And so, yeah, that is disappointing. And I understand when people make that statement, that's, that's kind of what they're expressing, is they're expressing that disappointment. And I must tell you as well, there have been occasions where somebody will come to me and they'll say, Josh, I, I, I wish you'd preach on this particular subject. You know, there's this thing going on in my life, and I really wish you'd talk about this in a lesson. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I did just preach on that. I preached on it two weeks ago, but you didn't bother to show up. That also is aggravating, and it is exasperating. But you know what? I have reached a place, and I've kind of, I feel like this was kind of a, a, a milestone for me. I reached a place in my maturity where I was able to finally just recognize what I can and cannot control. And you know what I learned? I've learned that I cannot control attendance. I can't. There ain't anything I can do about that. That is entirely out of my reach. Now God, God can do something about that. God in His providential working, He can get the folks who need to be here, He can get them here. In His Word, I think we see examples of that over and over again, how God is able to get people in the right spot at the right time to hear exactly what they need. And I think as well in the Bible, we see examples of the devil trying to frustrate those plans. That's that spiritual warfare. He's trying to prevent people from hearing the things that they need to hear when they need to hear them. But in the end, I've realized that's all out of my hands. I don't get to decide who's here on any given Sunday. I'm just thankful for the people who are here. And I recognize that my job is to bring the instruction and the admonition from God's Word that I am called to do. That is all that I can do.
Which means that whoever it is that comes together in this auditorium, regardless of who is not here in our midst, what we have to do is we have to apply the message of God's Word to ourselves. We can't be sitting here thinking about somebody else. We can't be thinking about how that message, oh, that would just be perfectly suited to that individual. No, what we need to be thinking about is how this sermon applies to me. What can I do with this message? What changes do I need to make? How does this fit in my life? Look in Acts 17, please. In Acts chapter 17, think about this principle with the Bereans. This passage is famous in Acts 17. We're told about these Christians in Berea. In Acts 17 and in verse 11, we're told that these Jews, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the Word with all eagerness and they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The great thing about this verse is that it says the Bereans, they took preaching seriously. And what that means is is that they tried so hard to apply that message to themselves. I want you to notice that the text does not say that the Bereans, they received the Word with all eagerness, and then they said, man, I wish those Thessalonians were here. Now they could have really got something out of this lesson. They needed this lesson. doesn't say that. The text does not say that the Bereans said amongst one another, oh, how we wish the people of Athens had been here. They really could have used this lesson. Oh, we wish those people over in Philippi, they got all kinds of messes over there. I wish they had heard this sermon. No, the Bereans were concerned about the Bereans. And they made every effort to take that message into their own hearts and into their own lives. Let's just be honest. Whenever we're sitting in the auditorium and the preaching is going on, and we just kind of start mentally taking attendance during the lesson, and we're looking around about who's here and who's not here, let's just be honest. Our focus slips, doesn't it? We're not focused like we ought to be. When we're looking around and we're thinking in our mind about everybody else, we're thinking about everybody other than ourselves. And that, of course, is a step in the wrong direction. Instead of seeing how I need to leave this sermon, now my attention is on how they need to live this sermon. They need to be doing some stuff with what God's Word is saying. And that's really dangerous because then that leads to a whole host of other problems. Namely, that can lead to some self-righteousness and some smugness and some arrogance. Where I get to thinking, you know what, brother so-and-so, he needs this lesson. He, I don't need it. I'm so strong, but he's so weak, he needs it. Or sister so-and-so, oh, she definitely needs this lesson. That's a big temptation. Not a temptation for me, but it's a temptation for her. Oh, she needs that lesson so bad. You see the problem with that kind of impersonal listening? In fact, whenever someone says to me, and it never fails, this happens every time. When someone says to me, boy, I, I, I wish so-and-so was here. I wish they were here and I wish they could have heard that sermon. Almost instantly, it's usually within like just a matter of seconds, instantly they'll follow that right up by saying, but, but I got something out of it too. Oh, I'll make that clear. I, I, I got some good thing. I got some benefit out of that for me. And what that says is that says that we just automatically know, we know intrinsically that we shouldn't be listening for everybody else. I need to be listening for me. And yet it is so easy to be thinking about how the lesson applies to anybody but me. 
I want you to understand that whenever I or any other brother stands behind this podium and we deliver God's Word, that sermon, it is precisely and it is specifically for the audience that is present. And with every fiber of my being, my assurance to you is that I will do everything that I can to help the people who are here to live in accordance with the teaching of God's Word. This sermon is not designed for people who aren't here. It's designed for the people who are here. This sermon is for you. And yes, I recognize, somebody may be quick to point this out afterwards, yes, you can get a CD of the sermon, or you can direct somebody to the podcast, and yes, they will be able to benefit from it in some way later on. I I get that and I understand that. But when we're standing back there in the foyer, and we're shaking hands after services, please don't tell me how much that lesson applied to everybody else. You and I need to be thinking about how that lesson applied to self, first and foremost. Which will lead me then to this third statement this morning. It is a statement that often gets made to preachers, and it, this may seem a little bit strange to include on this list, but I want you to hear me out, because I think there's something a little bit misguided in this. And that is whenever people come up and they say, you know, I remember that sermon you did. I remember that sermon that you preached on this or on that or at this specific time. Now, the Bible certainly understands that we do struggle from time to time with our memories, with our rememberers. Did you remember that back in the passage we read a moment ago in James? You remember that verse in James chapter 1? There in verse 25, James talks there about being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. The Bible warns us about forgetting. In fact, the Bible warns us about that a lot. And sometimes people let me know, Hey, preacher, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgot that sermon. I remember that sermon that you preached back in 2008. I remember that sermon that you preached just a couple of years ago. I haven't forgot that lesson. Sometimes people will even come up to me and they'll say, you know, hey, I remember that lesson that you did for us in a gospel meeting. You were here, you know, ten years ago. And you did this lesson, this lesson, this lesson, and I, I remember those lessons. And I'll tell you once again, it's kind of flattering. It's nice when folks remember that. And they come back and they can even like quote you lines from the sermon that you said. I had a fellow one time, he come up to me, and he told me that he remembered a sermon that I had preached on marriage during a gospel meeting. And that I was preaching from John the 13th chapter, that's the story where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And that as I was talking about that passage within the context of marriage, he remembered a point that I had made in which I said, you know, we need not worry so much about who wears the pants in the family, when what we need to really be worried about is who's wearing the towel in the family. Making a point about serving. And I'll tell you what, that was a great point. But I didn't make that point. (laughs) I don't know who, I'm going to start making that point. I think I'm going to take that and make it, start putting that into my lessons now. But I didn't actually say that. Now I understand that people say those kinds of things. And that when people are able to remember a, you know, a, a particular lesson, or a point in a lesson, or an illustration from a lesson, I realize that when they come and say this to the preacher, that's intended to be a compliment. And I do, I appreciate that. But I'm actually not convinced that that is the best thing to say to the preacher. 
Now let's be candid. Some sermons, they are memorable, aren't they? There may be any number of factors that cause a particular sermon to be memorable. Maybe there was a particular illustration that was used, and we just, we're just never going to forget that. Maybe just because of the whole assembly that day. Maybe it's just a packed house and the singing was so good. And we just remember everything about that particular day because it was just a great day of worship. Uh, maybe it's because of the timeliness of the lesson. Maybe that particular lesson, man, it just, just hit us right between the eyes. It was exactly what I needed. That was the providence of God at work. There are lots of factors that contribute to us remembering certain sermons. But what about most sermons? It's okay, we can just say it. Most sermons, most sermons are not memorable. I've been preaching here at Lakeside for almost five years now. And that means, I went back and counted, that means that I have preached nearly 400 sermons in this building. Now, I went and I asked the person who has heard me preach more than anybody else here, and that would be my wife, I asked her how many of those 400 sermons that she could name, and she immediately rattled off three. With a little bit of coaching, she was able to get it to five, and I think if she had really, really, really tried hard, we probably could have got the number up to ten. Now, that does not mean that Tiffany is a lousy listener. Nor does that necessarily mean that I'm a poor preacher. It just means that most sermons aren't memorable. Think about it. Do any of you here remember the sermon that I preached on July the 22nd, 2009? That was the very first time I was ever invited to come and speak here at Lakeside. It was during a VBS. Anybody remember that? Does anybody remember what I preached here on the fourth Sunday in April four years ago? Anybody remember what I preached on the fourth Sunday of April last month? I'll be honest with you. I don't either. I don't. I don't. I I could look it up. And maybe by looking it up, it would jog my memory about some things. But I'll tell you, I I wouldn't remember every single point that I made. I wouldn't remember every illustration. I wouldn't remember every application that I made. I wouldn't remember them word for word in that kind of way. But here's what I want to say about that. It's okay. It's okay that you don't remember every sermon you've ever heard. Because sermons aren't meant to be memorized in that kind of rote sort of fashion. Would you find 2 Peter chapter 3 with me? In 2 Peter chapter 3, here's a passage that I I tend to think that preachers probably find very comforting. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this is verse number 1. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter talks there that preaching preaching requires some reminding. Now you might be inclined to think normally, wow, Josh, it must be really discouraging to be a preacher and people are only able to remember three of your sermons. Or maybe you're even thinking to yourself, you know what? Seems like our preacher's sermons ought to be a little bit more memorable than that. Maybe he's a failure. Maybe he's not doing a good job. We need to get him out here and get somebody in here who can preach some memorable sermons. Well, I hope not. Because Peter's words here help us to understand that preaching doesn't always work in that kind of stick out in your mind, remember it forever and ever sort of way. 
preaching actually functions in a very different kind of way. First and foremost, you need to understand that that sermon that you hear, that sermon is designed to feed you today. It's designed to feed you for the day that you hear it and hopefully for maybe a few days afterwards. Think about this. What did you have for dinner 20 years ago? What did you have for dinner six months ago? What did you have for dinner just three days ago? I don't even remember any of those answers. Now, do some meals stand out as memorable for all time? Sure. Let me get some meals like that. Maybe you went to a really nice expensive restaurant on your honeymoon and got a $200 steak. Yeah, you're going to remember that meal. Maybe you went to Disney World and you got to have you know tea and crumpets with the princess or Mickey Mouse or something like that. You might remember that. Maybe it was a dinner with a grandparent. You just remember sitting around the table and it was just so good and the conversation and the laughter. and Something just made that meal memorable. There are some incredibly memorable meals that all of us have eaten. But most of the meals in our lives, they usually just kind of merge into this big, long stream of forgotten food. Now, does that mean that it's not important to eat? No. At the time, that meal was really important. You needed it. You needed the sustenance and the nutrition and the goodness that came from it, and you needed it right now, right then. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that that that's what sermons are designed for. They're designed for right now, right then. They provide you with the sustenance and the nutrition and the goodness that your soul needs. A word from God. A little bit of spiritual instruction that will help you now. It'll help you today. You know, you just go and you ask any of the people who miss services due to to being sick or some of our shut-ins that aren't able to be here, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you, I missed being here so much. I did. I missed it so much. And why? Because they were spiritually hungry. They needed something to eat. They needed to be fed spiritually. They needed that meal. They needed that meal right now. The other thing that I would say about that is that sermons sermons merge into our lives. Sermons are designed to be integrated and ingrained into our daily lives. It's 1 Corinthians 4 that I'm looking for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. In verses 16 and 17, in 1 Corinthians 4, and in verse 16, Paul says there, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere and in every church. What Paul's saying there is he's saying that we're supposed to become something through preaching. But you know what? That doesn't always occur at some explicit, definitive moment that we just remember and we remember it for all time. That's not how learning works. Do you remember the moment that you learned your ABCs? Can you remember the specific moment when you were able to finally tell time? Do you remember the moment when you were able to finally tell your right hand from your left? Some of us here are probably still working on that. But we don't learn that way, do we? That's not really how learning works. In learning, there's there's instruction, and there's teaching, and there's trying, and there's failing, and then there's trying some more. And then over a sustained period of time, 
it all just finally comes together. And we're able to have some mastery of that thing that we're trying to learn. But we don't just remember, oh, I'll tell you what, on this date specifically, I learned my ABCs. No, that's, that's not how that happens. Answer me this then. When did it all come together for you to get serious about daily Bible study and daily Bible reading? We have people in this congregation who I know, you have told me, you are devoted to regularly and daily reading your Bible. When did you decide to start doing that? I would be willing to guess that that is something that just happened over time. That it was not the result of hearing one just whiz-bang sermon on Bible reading and oh, now all of a sudden you're just going to be this devoted daily Bible reader. No, I'm guessing just over time, the accumulation of hearing lessons that just emphasize what an important daily discipline that is to be regularly in and around God's Word. Over time, it just ended up becoming a habit and it became ingrained into our daily lives. Or what about seeing the Bible as one unified story. Was that the result of just one singular aha moment during this amazing sermon that you're going to remember for all time? Probably not. I'm guessing more likely it was something that just you started to put the pieces together over time. You can't remember all those sermons individually that contributed to that, but they did. They all contributed that over time you're able to put the pieces together and you're able to see that, yeah, the Bible is a cohesive Whole story. Or maybe even think about at a baptism. I'll tell you, I've had folks who have told me that that's about as decisive and memorable of a moment as it gets. People often say that they can remember the exact sermon that was preached. The night that they decided to walk down that aisle while the invitation song was being sung. They can remember every detail of that sermon. Because it seemed like the preacher was preaching directly and only at them. But I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm going to say that I think chances are pretty good that there was a whole lot of other important preaching, maybe not nearly as memorable, but a lot of other preaching that had happened before that moment that then led to that person obeying the gospel. Very rarely does somebody hear the gospel one time and immediately respond to it. Usually, it's a course of a lot of teaching. And as that teaching begins to break through, finally, finally we're able to ingrain God's Word into our lives. Sermons aren't really designed to be memorable. They're designed to change us. They're designed to change us just a little bit at a time. You want to talk about memorable? I'll tell you what's memorable. Movies. Movies are memorable. I can remember huge chunks of movies from my lifetime. I can remember huge segments of the Star Wars movies. Back to the Future, Home Alone. I can quote you stuff from those movies. Entertainment like that, yes, it is memorable. But you know what else about those movies? They don't change us. They don't change us spiritually. They don't cause us to be better, more devoted, more committed servants of Jesus Christ. It is only the Word of God that does that. The Bible that does that. And it is our repeated exposure to the Word of God over time that gradually and inevitably and then powerfully shapes us into who the Lord wants us to be. Even though sometimes we don't even realize it, that it's having that effect, 
God's Word does have that effect. It is at work. It is living and active in our lives. And what that means is, very practically speaking, is that means you don't have to remember the sermon. I'll say that again. You don't have to remember the sermon. You don't have to remember the where and the when. You don't have to remember the exact phrases and the words. You don't even have to remember who preached the lesson. I am really rather unimportant in all of this. That's not what's important. Those things are not the important factors. What is important is that you got and you took away from the sermon what you needed today to be a little bit closer to the Lord and that you then integrated that truth into your daily life. If you did that, then guess what? The sermon worked exactly as God intended for it to do. And while, yes, it might flatter the preacher to hear you say, Oh, I remember that sermon. Oh, let me tell you what I do remember from that sermon, preacher. What's really more important is that the sermon changed you. Now, I want to say as I close here, that this is a wonderful and marvelous congregation. It is, and I say this without any embellishment at all, it is my favorite place to preach on all the face of this earth. There is no place, there is no congregation that I would rather preach for than this group right here. And a huge part of the reason for that is because of the very warm reception that the Word of God receives amongst this group. The way that you listen, the way that you care, the way that you take the Word of God into your life. It is a privilege for me to get to preach for such a fine congregation of God's people. And what I hope this morning is I hope that I've been able to give you maybe just a little bit of insight into how this whole preaching thing looks, how it looks from up here. And what exactly it is that preachers are looking for and hoping for whenever they stand behind this podium. I hope you realize this morning, this sermon really is not about legislating what phrases you can't and cannot say. I really just use those phrases to make all those sub-points. And I know that by making those three points, I'm really setting myself up. I know as soon as the amen is said, I'm going to be back there in the foyer. And someone's going to come with a real mischievous look on their face. And they're going to peck me on the shoulder and they're going to say, Josh... I liked your sermon. (laughs) And they're going to think they're just so clever for saying that, but want you to know that when you say that, you will be the tenth person who has made that joke. I understand about all of that, and I'm ready to be the punching bag. But really more than anything today, what I hope you've seen, and what I've impressed upon you, is that what's most important is whether God likes the sermon. And God likes the sermon especially whenever the hearers of that sermon hear and respect and believe and obey His Word. That indeed is the very goal of gospel preaching. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who has never obeyed God's Word. I want you to stop and think about how many sermons you have heard throughout your lifetime about about sin, about the grace of God, about salvation in Christ Jesus, about the steps that a person needs to take in order to become a Christian. You don't need to call upon one specific sermon 
in order to know what you need to do in order to become a child of God. I don't see any completely unfamiliar faces in the audience this morning. I think I'm talking to a room full of people who you know. There's just been an accumulation of teaching, either through the time that I've been here, even beyond that. You understand and you know what you need to do to access the grace and the forgiveness of God. We can help you this morning to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. To be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. All things are ready for that to happen this very day and you can become a Christian. Brother or sister, let me extend a special invitation to you. Is it possible that the preaching and proclamation of God's Word, is it possible that maybe that has begun to fall maybe in recent days or weeks upon kind of deaf ears? Have you become dull of hearing to the Word of God? And as a result, maybe you're not living entirely as you ought to be as one of God's children. If that is the case, you need to open up your ears. You need to hear. Because the Lord says you need to repent. You need to come back to Him in humility. Let Him make you whole once again, purify you, and help restore you back to your rightful place amongst the people of God. Whatever your need might be this morning, will you come? Why don't you do it right now while we stand and while we sing?